Today's message is one, I believe, one of the most important messages that I will be preaching since I've been here in a little over three years. You may not think of the value of a human life like God does. And I want to try to give you a little picture of what God has to say about it. Turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis in chapter 2. The sanctity of human life. Life, liberty, and limitations. In the little booklet that has just been given to you, there's two front pages. But I want you to look at the one where it has abortion in America, the man with a big needle in his hand. And I want you to open it up to 11-3, where it has raw judicial power. And I want to read this to you, because I want to talk a little bit about the value of human life. There's two dates that are mentioned here, March the 6th, 1857, and January 22nd, 1973. The first one, March the 6th, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the landmark Dred Scott decision that black people were not legal persons according to the U.S. Constitution. A slave was the property of the owner and could be bought and sold or even killed by the owner at the owner's discretion. Eleven years and a civil war later, 1868, the people of the U.S. voted into effect the 13th and 14th Amendment to the Constitution. The interpretation and legal protection of persons now included all living human beings. January the 22nd, 1973. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the landmark Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton decisions that unborn human beings are not legal persons, according to the U.S. Constitution. An unborn baby is the property of the owner, mother, and she can have the child killed at her request even up to the time of birth, if her doctor agrees. Now the country is again bitterly divided. States have lost the right to restrict abortion on demand, and the move is again underway to amend the U.S. Constitution, to restore the constitutional right to life for all human beings from conception through natural death. This little booklet we ordered so that you could have one to read at your leisure. We will not take the time to go through the booklet. I want to take the time to go through the Bible. And I want to show you just a little bit about what I believe God says about the value of human life. Because, see, if you lose the value of human life at any stage, there is a dangerous road in which you are going to travel. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis and chapter 2. And look there in verse 7. And it says in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Man was not an animal, wasn't created on the same day, but this is different. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So life had to come from God. Now it's easy if you believe the Bible, 
But there are people that do not believe the Bible. So if the Bible isn't true, there's no creation. There's no creator. There's no law because there's no lawgiver. There's no design because there's no designer. But we believe the Bible, so all those things are true. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus 17. And look there in verse 11. Leviticus 17 and verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if there's blood, there's to be life. That's why when you go to the doctor and you get sick, and first one thing they want to do is take your blood. Because the blood tells them what's kind of wrong with you. I went to the doctor last week. They took about three vials of that precious, precious blood. Did you know if they take enough of it, you'll die. Years ago, they didn't know that. But it is the truth. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And he says, I have given to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul, because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when there's blood, there's life. And in that mother's womb, which should be the safest place on earth, there is blood, there is life. And you need to understand it from God's point of view. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Job, the book of Job, or if you prefer, the book of Job, right before the book of Psalms. All right, the book of Psalms. But turn to the book of Job and chapter 10. Job chapter 10. Job chapter 10, I want you to look there at a verse, four verses, beginning with verse 8. Job chapter 10 and verse 8. See, the more you believe about what God says about the child in the womb will give you a greater appreciation for the children and for the adults. If you lose sight that a precious child in a mother's womb, if you lose the value of that life, you will lose the value of all human life. You will not respect life as you should. So here in Job chapter 10 and verse 8, Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, and yet thou dost destroy me. Job was having a bad day. He says, Lord, I know you made me. You created me. But now it looks like you're going to destroy me. You see, we believe that God gives life and God ought to take life. Unless man has taken life and God has authorized government to take and to destroy the person who has taken life. But you tell me that little child in a mother's womb has taken nobody's life. But anyway... Look what he said in verse 9. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? Remember, he formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So he, now he says, you have made me like the clay, and now will you bring me to dust again? You see, the body is made, formed from the earth itself. 
and it returns back to dust. But you are different. You are someone who lives inside of this body. Look what he says there in verse 10. Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, hath fenced me with bone and sinew. In other words, you are on the inside of a physical body. You are not your body. You have a body. A body is your little spacesuit so that you can live on planet Earth. But God created you and placed you inside of a body in your mother's womb. Now, if you say, I believe the Bible, then you need to believe this also. And then notice what he says there in verse 12. Thou hast granted me life. Life is a grant from God. God granted you life. Government didn't give it to you. You were created by God, and God has granted you the right to life. Granted you life. God gave you the right to live. Came from God. And therefore, man is to be very careful about what he does with this life that has been granted by God. So he says here in verse 12, Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. So you see, there's a spirit, and there's you, and there's a physical body made of flesh and bone. So you are a trinity, living. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. You see, God wants you to understand. God wants your spirit to be holy. He wants your soul to be happy, and He wants your body to be healthy. God has given us all three, and therefore there's things that God has said that He wants done. And therefore He makes a statement in the book of Thessalonians to preserve your body, soul, and spirit until the day of Christ. So we have a responsibility to all three. See, I'm to be spiritually strong, but God says you're spiritually, you're dead. You live in a physical body, but the body will not live forever. The soul of man, he says, the soul that sinneth shall die. It means you're going to die. You're going to leave that physical body. You're going to be separated from this body. So every man is appointed to die. And after this, the judgment. Take your Bible now and turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 18. Genesis and chapter 18. There's an interesting story here. And in this story, God told somebody that they're going to have a child. So if you will, there, look there in verse 10 of Genesis and chapter 18. And he says... I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a blob of protoplasm, a fetus, whatever you want to call it, but it's a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. According to the time of life, Sarah, thy wife, shall have 
a son. So God knew in advance this woman of 90 years of age is going to have a baby. She's going to have a son. God knew exactly when. And it's according to the time of life. And notice, the time of life is not when the child is born. The time of life is when the child is conceived in the mother's womb. That is the time of life. Understand what God says about this because it's so important. Otherwise, you'll have some people in this world trying to tell you that it's just a blob of flesh. It's not really a, a human being. It's not really a child. It's not really a babe. It's just flesh. That's not what God said. We would be better if we believe what the Word of God says. Look what he says also in the next verse. Look there in verse 13. Verse 13 says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Bear a child means the child that's in the mother's womb, and she is bearing a child. Not that she has it yet. What is in the mother's womb is she is going to bear a child. That inside of her womb is a child. That's what the book says. We say we believe the Bible, then we should believe the Bible. And so he says in verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. Sarah shall have a son. So God already knew if it was a male or a female in her womb before she had the child. So Abraham believed God. It was counted in him for righteousness because he believed what God said. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms, 139th Psalm. 139th Psalm. Here in the 139th Psalm, there's some wonderful things that are mentioned here. From verse 1 down to verse 6, it talks about the divine omniscience of God. Talks about the wisdom of God. In verse 7 to verse 12, it talks about the divine omnipresence of the Lord that presses everywhere. Verses 13 to verse 18 talks about the omnipotence of God, Him being all-powerful. In verses 19 to 24, it talks about human contemplation. A God that contemplates about me. And how he thinks about me. I, I like that. But look in verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. It means he knows my heart. Thou knowest my setting down and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God knows everything about you and everything about me. He knows our thoughts. Isn't that enough to scare you half to death? In verse 3, he says, Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. 
So he knows in verse 1 about my heart. In verse 2, he knows about my thoughts. And in verse 3, he knows about my ways. And in verse 5, he knows about my words. Thou knowest it all together. There isn't anything that God doesn't know about you and me. That's why David says there in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and see if I'm for real. Because he says, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, he says, I love you. I acknowledge you. I know who you are. I know that you are omniscient. You're all wise and you're all powerful and you're all knowing. I know all of this. And I want you, God, I want you to know that if there's anything in my life, I want you to reveal it to me. Search me. Know my heart. Because he says, I know your heart. I know your ways. I know your words. I know everything about you. Where did God get all this knowledge? And he knows that about every individual. Now, look down here in verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You know what really should make every person realize how wonderful God is? Uh, Betty and I was at the village inn the other day. I don't know if it was village inn. Maybe it was Denny's, but... There was a woman up there, and she had a little bitty baby. And I walked by, and I saw it first, and I got where I was curious. You always want to see what the little baby looks like. And I says, is that, is that a real one? She says, yes, it's real. I says, how old is the baby? Two months old. And I looked at the little baby. It was the cutest little thing. Reminded me of when I was a little child. And you look at that little baby and you think, I'm supposed to think that this is an accident, that there's no plan to this, that this little baby just happens to appear. And I mean, it's a, it's a marvel in itself. It's a wonderful thing. And anybody that looks at a little baby ought to realize, you know, God had to do this. To believe in evolution is a joke. A person's got to be out of their helmet. But you have so much reality right there that you can look at and you can see and believe. Look what he says here in verse 15. He says, My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and cursely wrought in the lowest part of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! To think that God in heaven was the one who performed this little miracle and makes everything work. And because of the laws that he's made, a body grows. Isn't that amazing in itself? A little baby inside of a mother's womb, should be the safest place on earth. You know it's not the safest place on earth anymore. I want you to take your Bible and look in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we often hear this verse of Scripture mentioned at 
Christmas time, and rightly so. Nothing wrong with that. But what I wanted you to see in chapter 7, look in verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Shall conceive and bear. Now, she was conceived because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And the Bible says that holy thing that shall be born. So the thing that was in her womb was a holy thing. Because it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She was going to bear a son. She's going to be carrying a baby. And that baby was precious from the moment of conception. And you and I need to understand that. Because there's people that try to formulate their views of what they think is right and wrong. What has a right to live and doesn't. I cannot fathom the idea of a young woman who does not discipline herself enough to only have sex with a husband and goes outside of that realm, has a baby, and to cover that sin, she commits murder. Something's wrong with this. And it is not acceptable in society because it's not acceptable with God. It is a sin and it is wrong, and it is wicked, and it is murder. And people need to understand that. And no government law can ever justify something God calls sin. All the laws they pass will not take away what God says in His Word. God doesn't need anybody passing legislation in contradiction to the Word that He's given to us. But He makes a statement. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A son. It means what she was carrying at the moment of concept was a son. It was a son from that moment. And nothing after that changed that. At least that's what this preacher believes. I'm not saying everybody has to believe what I believe. They'd be better off if they did. Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah and chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Here in Jeremiah chapter 1. Look what he says in verse 5. Verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. He's talking to Jeremiah. And before thou cameth forth out of the womb before you, you, Jeremiah, when you was in the womb. I knew you before you got there. And I knew you while you were there. So it was Jeremiah that was in the womb. You see, he didn't come to be the day he was born. He was already in the womb. So if somebody, his mama, if she had aborted that child, she aborted a person that God had given life to. Look what he says. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, 
I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. So God knew who was in the womb. And God knew it was going to be a boy. And God, because you made him a prophet. And God knew what his purpose was in life. I believe that I am just as important as Jeremiah. I believe I, Yankee Arnold, I am just as important to God as Moses, as Daniel, just as important as David in the Bible, as Joseph. I'm just as important as any of them. And so are you. I believe everyone is important to God. And I believe that God created, God granted us life, and He hath determined the boundaries of our habitation, and appointed the times for us to be born into what nation, as He says in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Look what He says, I ordain thee to be a prophet unto the nations. I've got a reason for you to live. I've got a purpose for your life. God already knew. And God is not a respecter of persons. That's what He said. When God says he so loved the world, I wonder if that included you. I know it included me. Because I'm a human being and I'm in the world. And he loved the world. He loves me. Then he loves you. And whenever he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world, well, he must have included me. That means that he must have loved me. God so loved the world. He sent his son to pay for my sins. So that I, Yankee Arnold, could have eternal life. So that I could live with him. He did all that so I could live with him forever. He wants me that bad. God loves me. And he loves you. So how you doing? Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew and chapter 1. You didn't know he was going to go through the whole Bible today, did you? Matthew chapter 1. In verse 18, wonderful verse, just loaded with kind of jewels in it. If you'll notice there in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, I'm hoping that you'll understand what that means. And it says here, she was found with a blob of protoplasm, a mass of flesh, some kind of tissue. No, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now we know in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So that holy thing that's in her womb was a child. And it was a boy. And it was specially designed by God. You see, we can understand that if it talks about Jesus like that. But it also said the same thing about Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a sinner just like us. But notice what he says again. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So that means before the baby was born, she had a child in her womb. And this is why Joseph was going to put her away. In other words, not marry her. Because he found out, hey, she's going to have a baby and it's not mine. But it was a holy thing. It was a precious thing. It was a child. It was a babe. 
Now, look in verse 20. In verse 20 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Conceived. That's at the moment of conception. It was of the Holy Ghost at that moment of conception. And she bare a child. Bear a child from the moment of conception. Now, if this is true in the Word of God, and I believe it is, why should we accept any other view? Because there's people that want to cover their sin. I want you to take your Bible and look in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, but book of Luke. And chapter 1. And notice what he says there in verse 35. Verse 35. Verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born, not born yet, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Do you see anything there? Am I making this up or is this in the book? Look what else he says in verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son, conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her. So she at the moment of conception, has a son in her womb, and now it's been six months, and the baby's still there. So, um, what do you think? Do you think it's important or not? Look down in verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. What was it called? And this blob of protoplasm jumped in her womb. This mass jumped in her womb. No, it was a babe in her womb. See, they don't want us to accept this. They want to try to rewrite things. I believe that we'd be better off if we take what the Word of God says and believe it and hang on to what God says. See, if the babe in the womb is a special design by God for a particular time and a particular nation, then what right does the woman have to terminate that life? She doesn't have the right to do that. Now, you can disagree with me, but you're going to have to answer to the Lord for your views. Get God to change his views, and I will too. Look what he says in the book of Exodus. We won't take time to turn there. Uh, let me just explain it to you. The Bible says in the book of Exodus in chapter 21, verse 22, it says that if a man strive and a woman who is going to have a child and it causes accidentally her to lose her fruit, then he shall make amends for what he's done. If it's on purpose, then the man has to give his life. God says you don't have the right to destroy that life in that mother's womb. God says if you do, your life is to be taken. 
So God didn't care whether it was in the womb or out of the womb. The person is still a person, still valuable to God. Just what he says. In the book of Psalms, in 127 in verse 3, it says that children are a heritage of the Lord. So if all of this is true, then what is abortion? Any way we cut it, you have to come out to the conclusion that it's wrong, it's sinful, it's murder. It's not to be done. And people need to understand what God says. God is not going to bless a nation that permits it. Let me read something to you. The murder of babies in America by legalized abortion, three per minute, 183 per hour, 4,383 per day, 1,600,000 per year, one and a half million a year. And how long have we been doing this? For 50 years. Concerning worldwide murder of babies by abortion, worldwide, 105 per minute. 6,378 every hour. 150,685 every day. 55 million every year. Abortion has killed 1.2 billion babies in 50 years, according to the report. You remember when 20 children were killed at an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. Did you hear the public outcry? Government's got to do something because of those precious lives. And precious they are. But aren't all babies precious? Aren't all of them precious? That while 4,000 were aborted the day before, 4,000 was aborted on the day that 20 died. I say all of them are valuable to the Lord. And we ought to be in an uproar in this country over the permission of allowing all these babies to be murdered. Remember this. Remember in, when Christ was born, Herod came in there and killed all the babies two and under. Now, I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. He didn't use guns. Probably used swords. I don't know if they banned swords after that or not. I don't know. You remember in the book of Exodus when Pharaoh had passed a law that they were to abort all the male children. And this is after they're born. And when the midwives come, they were supposed to make sure that uh, those boy babies were exterminated. If you'll remember, that was also a government decision. Herod was a government decision. It wasn't one man committing mass murder. It was government determining these things. You remember, as you studied history what we call the Civil War or the war between the states because there were some southern states that wanted to succeed from the north, from the Union. And um, the federal government said, no, you're not. The South said, 
Yes, we are. And they fought a war over that. How many of the people in America that were adults, young people, died because the government said no. And there were some people that were willing to fight for what they believed was their right to determine their own destiny. So a lot of problems. Several hundred thousand from both sides were killed because of government. Government has said it's all right to take the lives of over 50 million little babies in America. I still think that it's wrong. One of the reasons that the North won against the South is because the North had greater firepower. Our government today don't want us to have the firepower that they have. Because when they tell us no, they mean no. And they don't want any resistance. You see, the Second Amendment is so that we can still keep the First Amendment. And our government will pass enough laws to eventually convince the people we don't need any guns, so we won't need to protect ourselves. Government will protect us and take care of us. I don't have all the answers. I don't need all of them. I just know that I want to hold the view that's found in this book. I know the Lord, I love the Lord, and I love people. I love little children. You know, little Ryan, he loves his Uncle Yankee. And he wanted to make sure we had a picture taken together. So we got a picture of me and him on the wall in there. You know, there's a little girl in here, the little Hayslip's little granddaughter. And she'll come up after church and she'll want to hug me. I can't blame her for that. <laughs> but she also knows that sometimes in my pocket, I may have a piece of candy or something. And some of the kids, they go by my door. And they push my door open, and there's a whole thing of candy right there. And I'll say, you can have one. And they'll come out with a handful. <laughs> Little kids are dynamite. They are exciting. They love life. Think of all those that have been snuffed out, that never got a chance. And what was interesting is Obama made this statement. He says, the majority of those who died today were children, beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. They had their entire lives ahead of them, birthdays and graduations, wedding, kids of their own. So I would say, as we remember these children, there's something else to keep in mind. They were killed by bullets from a gun-welding assassin on December the 14th at an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. Let us not forget that there were 4,000 babies who were also killed the same day. And the day before, at government-licensed abortion clinics and hospitals across America, their deaths were not caused by a gun-welding assassin. They were caused by doctors, licensed practitioners, who helped take the lives of little babies. It would be great 
I guess, if Obama would apply his words regarding the 20 children murdered in Connecticut to those deliberately and premeditatedly murdered by legalized abortion. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays and graduations and weddings and kids of their own. But they were never allowed to be born. This is not a message that I wanted to bring or like to bring. But I believe that there's going to be a price that's going to be paid in this country because of what has been permitted because it was made legal. You see, you can make things legal, but it doesn't make it right. There is a greater truth that I need to explain very quickly. So look up here just for a moment. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. He loves everyone. Everybody. It doesn't matter what nation you come from, what race you are, whether you're a little child or whether you're an old fogey like me. God loves you. He hates what we do wrong. But God says to pay for the wrong that we do for our sins is eternal separation from God in hell. But He loves us. Wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you and I have to be perfect. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We've all come short of God's perfection. See, God is perfect. We're not. We've all sinned. And God says you cannot earn your way to heaven. Going to heaven is not going to be the result of you living a good life. You'll never live good enough to go to heaven. That's why you and I needed a Savior. Because we can't save ourselves. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh. He came into this world because He loves us. Hates our sin. Because our sin separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So what He did, for one, He did for the whole world. He took all of the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe He did it for us, he would put this payment to our account. And we get to go to heaven on what he did. We did not earn it. We can't buy it. We can't pay it back. It's a gift. It's free. And if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to trust the Lord. But do it today. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand, yes, God he loves you, knows everything about you, and still loves you. But he sent his son to die on that cross to pay for your sins. And he said if you'll believe that he did it for you, he would put his death payment to your account. You get to go to heaven on what he did for you. Friend, you didn't earn that. You don't work for that. It's because God so loved you, loved you so much. And if you will trust him as your Savior, he said he would save you from hell and give you eternal life as a free gift. So in the quietness of this moment, just between you and the Lord, would you just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this? Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died, paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him as my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, God said, if you'll believe that, he would give you right now as a gift, eternal life, and never cast you out and never lose you. Would you do that? Would you trust him? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. 
and you're saying, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior, and I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone on? Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Say, yes, I will trust Christ right now as my only hope of going to heaven. And God said, if you trust him, he'll save you, give you eternal life. Anyone else before we close? Or if you're watching by internet, I can't see you, but God sure does. And he said, if you'll trust him, he'll save you. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We're thankful for the free gift of eternal life. And for the one indicating that by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as Savior. And Father, once we trust you as our Savior, we have eternal life and you'll never cast us out and never lose us. We pray, Lord, that each person here would hold the view that's given in your word this, this morning. That children are a heritage of the Lord. You're granted life. And Father, therefore, every person, every child is special. We thank you so much for this time together. We thank you so much for all you've done in Christ's name. Amen.